Why Everyone Should Hate Coffee Creams by Pins and Nizzles Narrated by Felpata Lupin at fanfictalk.com Isn't it funny how single, seemingly trivial thing can have a colossal overall effect? Take a loose purple, for example, happily sitting on the side of a mountain and minding its own business. It becomes dislodged one day through no fault of its own, and before it can say, Oh, Papa was one of these ones, it plummets downwards, gathering a million more rocks along the way, and becomes landslide of the year. This isn't a story about rocks, by the way. In a similar way to that lone pebble, a humble coffee cream consumed one afternoon by a handsome young man was the tiny catalyst which brought about decades of destruction and despair of far-reaching proportions, much worse than the landslide. It's hard to imagine an innocent chocolate having such a huge impact, isn't it? Well, it did. But this isn't really supposed to be a story about confectionery either. It was unseasonably beautiful on that particular day in the village of Little Angleton. Most of the locals, or Littletonians, as they liked to be known, were making the most of the glorious October sunshine by enjoying a pint of green and beerit, a locally brewed ale, outside their own village pub, the Hanged Man. Notable by their absence were the squire's family, the Riddles, who lived in a large house on a hill overlooking the village of Little Angleton. However, nobody really liked Mr. Riddle or his wife, who were widely feared by Littletonians and more unwelcome than gangrerous necroses. Tom Riddle Jr., the stuck-up son of Mr. and Mrs. Riddle, was relaxing in his favorite armchair in the drawing room with a newspaper and coffee on that fateful afternoon. He was indulging in one of his favorite pastimes, which happened to be reading about and mocking the misfortunes of the proles. To accompany this deeply satisfying hobby, he had cracked open a tub of confectionery, which he supposed darling Cecilia must have sent him at some point. He was just biting into a particularly delicious espresso-flavored traffic creation from the box of Madame Pascaline Dupont's pralines when... It happened. Like a bolt of lightning that struck him, he shot upright in his chair, his eyes like saucers. As though a dense fog had evaporated from his brain, his mind seemed as clear as freshly cut diamond. His thoughts were suddenly filled with a lady that he had noticed, but never really seen. A creature as fragile and beautiful as Panglass as adorably shy as a timid kitten. He wondered how he'd been so blind to her virtues until now. He must go to her. He had to have her. Now. Inelegantly cramming the reminder of the chocolate into his mouth and throwing back the rest of his coffee, he leaped out of his chair as though someone had showed a red-hot poker up his bottom. Like a gallant knight, even though he was only a squire's son, he burst through the French doors and galloped forth across the immaculate riddle lawn to the shabby little gaunt property in the distance to declare his undying love for his heart's desire. 
he had never known Madame Dupont's confectionery to have such an effect on him before, but he didn't think much about it, as all he could think about was his heart's desire. Little did he know that, in a matter of months, he would never look at a cappuccino square in quite the same way ever again. Painting heavily, he reached his destination, festooned with brambles from fighting his way through the undergrowth surrounding the gaunt shack. Nervously, he tried to compose himself before knocking on the flimsy wooden door in front of him. What if she rejected him? What? Oh, horrors! If that completely psychotic brother of hers answered, what oh, was that terrible creature nailed to the door? Surely not a snake! <laughs> Whilst his internal monologue was making him do all sorts of old mind artist things with his hands in order to avoid touching the impale ladder, the door opened and Merop Gunt herself saved him the bother of pondering further. The object of his sudden infatuation hovered in front of him in all her apparent glory. He stood there like an idiot and painted at her, his tongue lolling out of his head like a rabid dog as his gaze roved angrily over her small, delicate frame, her wide, doe-like brown eyes, her long, thin tendrils of mousy hair and alabaster pale skin. Merop! Tom gasped, reaching out a long-fingered, trembling hand and clutching at her tiny wrist. I beg of you, don't turn me away. Tom? Merop whispered, as though all their dreams had been answered. Well, they had, sort of. Merop, I... I think I love you, he said in a rush. I know this must seem sudden and the shock and, well, I haven't exactly... Oh, Danans, blast it all. I love you and I want to spend my life with you. Looks a massy, replied Merop breathlessly doing a little happy dance inside. Gracious goodness, I thought you'd never get around to eating those chuck... I mean, uh, wooing me, she adds in an astonished whisper. He looked her straight in the eyes, which was admittedly difficult, as they pointed in opposite directions, and he bent down on one knee. Marry me, he breathed. She giggled coquettishly, or that's what it sounded like to Tom Riddle Jr.'s potion-addled ears, and covered her mouth with her hand. What a corker of an amortensia brew this batch had turned out to be. I thought you'd never ask, she gasped. Oh, Tom. Merop flung her thin arms around his neck, and he embraced her, just as he had in her wildest dreams. Only this was better because he was real, here, holding her. Merop, let's elope, Tom said enthusiastically. Oh, that rhymes. How poetically romantic. He then seeked, in a lovesick but responsible sort of way, before placing her gently back on the ground. No, wait, I should do this properly. I shall break the news to father first, and then we'll elope. Here, what's wrong with just tailping? No frills, no passing, go, no collecting two hundred galleons. 
Merop asked worriedly, having been on the receiving end of Mr. Riddle Sr.'s wrath and scorn plenty of times. Tom glanced at her and batted his eyelashes, looking so handsome and tender that in the end she relented. Oh, all right then, tell him, she grunted quietly, crossing her fingers and hoping for the best. May as well get it over with. But don't blame me when it all goes tits up. Tom Riddle Jr., clasping the end of his beloved, strode confidently towards his house, choosing this time not to navigate the wilderness that divided the gaunt residence from his own. As it was such a warm afternoon, the lower ground windows of the Riddle House had been flung wide open, and the soft refrains of Mozart's Piano Sonata eleven in A major could be heard across the grounds. Sarah the maid was cleaning the window sills. Frank the gardener was poking about in the flower beds with a trowel. Judging from the mouth-watering fragrance wafting gently from the house, Doris the cook was throwing something together in the kitchen. Frank was the first to notice Tom and Merop making their way across the lawn, hand in hand. He marching with purpose, she taking little running steps to keep up. He supposed Merop was in for it. Wonder what the poor cow's done now, Frank wondered unhappily. He did everything unhappily. He was employed by the riddles, after all. Sarah looked up from where she was knelt, vigorously polishing some wood. She gave a little gasp of surprise and pretended she hadn't seen them. Tom walked in the drawing room via the open French doors, Merop hanging back. His mother was reclining in the chaise long, needlework in hand, concentrating on a particularly fiddly bit of cross-stitch. His father was sitting playing a grand piano in the corner of the room. Mr. Riddle Sr.'s long, pale, spidery fingers were running effortlessly over the piano keys, as though he was stroking them. He may have been a vile, despicable man, but he was a very accomplished pianist. He was wearing a monocle, which was currently rendered useless, as both of his eyes were closed, and he was humming, swaying and nodding his head in time to the music. Mr. Riddle was completely in his own world, and unaware that his son had just rolled in, accompanied by Mirop Gaunt, the tramp's daughter. <clears throat> Father, said Tom, in the most authoritative tone he could master. Merop cowered behind him. Yes, what is it, Tom? Can you not see that I'm terribly busy? Mr. Riddle replied shortly, amidst nods, sways, and humming. His eyes were still closed. Father, this is important, pressed Tom. I have something I would like to tell you. Huh? Mr. Riddle remarked opening his monocled eye and glaring at Tom through it, fortunately not noticing Merop from the angle at which he was sitting. Tom did a bit about the bash. It is my intention to marry, and to do so soon, he said clearly and confidently, bolstered by his obsessions. His mother looked up, a threaded needle in her hand. Marriage? 
she sounded horrified. But darling, you are only 20, and Cecilia is only 19. Nonsense, Mary, I think it's splendid, announced Mr. Riddle to his wife, as though it was his idea all along. I always liked Cinzia, uncommonly handsome girl. Then good reading, too. He raised his voice. Sarah! The maid appeared, wiping her hands nervously on her apron. Sir, a bottle of champagne immediately. This calls for a toast. Right way, sir. Sarah curtsies in astonishment and scurried from the room, her head bowed. Wait until Doris hears this, she thought. Well, how marvelous. I shall have to play a round of golf and partake in port and cigars with Camilla's father to celebrate. Mr. Riddle clapped his hands and returned to his beloved piano, delicately playing a cheerful little tune. Tom looked confused, still infatuated, but confused. It's Cecilia, not Camilla or Cinzia, and anyway it's not her. Oh, his father's tinkling of the piano keys grew considerably more staccato. Then, pray tell me, my dear son, who are you planning to marry? Merop Gold, father. As he said her name, his face became illuminated with the light of a thousand stars and the golden carobs played harps in his head. His father's fists hit the piano with such force that there was the sound of cracking and a few keys went plink. Are you absolutely out of your mind? roared Mr. Riddle, his monocle pinging off his face and landing on the floor. Oh, cried the distressed Mrs. Riddle. Sarah, fetch me my smelling salt this instant. Sarah reappeared at run, clutching a bottle of champagne in her arms. Your smelling salts, ma'am, she whimpered. You don't want the champagne? Why on earth would we want the champagne, you stupid girl? Mr. Riddle screamed. Do you think we'd be celebrating my son, the son of a squire? I love you know, wanting to marry the completely deranged daughter of a tramp? No, sir, squeaked Sarah as she retreated from the drawing room as fast as she could. Completely ruined Mozart piano sonata 11 in A major, and now the bloody middle C key is broken, stormed Mr. Riddle. Where are my souls? Can't anyone see I'm in shock and about to faint? Mrs. Riddle yelled tearfully, one hand on her forehead, the other wafting the air in front of her face. The cross-stitch sample had been flung aside, and Evan only knew where the needle had landed. Someone's foot would probably find it later. I'm in love with Merop, and we're going to marry, said Tom as firmly as he dared. He squeezed Merop's small, clammy hand. Get the trick out of here, Mr. Riddle shouted jumping up and catching sight of Merop, who was still hiding behind Tom. If Merop has to live, 
Then so will I, father, replied Tom haughtily. Mr. Riddle didn't answer, but instead shook his head and clutched theatrically at the part of his chest that he presumed lay over his heart. Unfortunately, despite being a wonderful pianist, he had little to no knowledge of human anatomy and succeeded only in flinging a dramatic hand over his collarbone. Can't you see what you're doing to me? He wheezed. <laughs> your poor mother. He gestured over to Mrs. Riddle, who was sobbing into a lace and kerchief, with Sarah anxiously hovering by her side, trying to waft smelling salts under her nose. If you cannot accept Merop, father, then you give me no choice. Merop, my darling, let us depart, Tom said with an air of finality as they strode out of the house in a determined manner, their hands entwined. They crossed the lawn, hand in hand, their expressions mirror images of love for each other. Mr. Riddle picked up the open box of chocolates from the table in the drawing room and furiously flung them in the direction of his son and the insane daughter of the tramp as they walked out of sight. The pieces of confectionery landed with soft drops on the lawn. After collecting a few belongings from the gaunt house, Merop and Tom decided to head for London. Tom would be back in Little Angleton within six months. Merop never returned. For over twenty-four hours after her departure, Frank Bryce and the Hedgehog lingered longingly outside the Gaunt residence, desperately hoping that she would. <laughs>